Hello, this is Fred Ottman, Tugboat Typhoon, the Shockmaster, the B-A-double-D, Big Steel Man, and you're listening to BBGWrestling.com. Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of Hands Off The Merchandise. I am Pablo and this is BBGWrestling.com. I want to thank you all for tuning in to last week's episode with Richard Sparks going across the entire history of Merlin WWF sticker albums and annuals and calendars and trading cards. Hands Off The Merchandise, a very, very diverse show with the kinds of guests that we get on. And it never ceases to amaze me some of the opportunities that I, you know, I... I'm able to run into and some of the people that I'm able to run into on social media, etc. And this uh, today's guest is just mind blowing to me that I am speaking with uh, the the brother of Chris Candido, Johnny Candido, who is currently um, just about finished a new book on Chris uh, called No Gimmicks Needed, along with John Cosper. And he is with me today. Hello. How are you doing? Yo, what's up? How's it going, brother? I'm okay. Um, it's well. I, I always tell people that kind of um, if I do these from home in the middle of winter, you know, I have to have the heating on because I'm. You're in a tank top. I am definitely not in a tank top at the moment in the UK. That's <laughs> a little chilly in New Jersey. Oh yeah, no, I can imagine. I can imagine it is. Uh, how was your Thanksgiving and everything? Um, was it COVID friendly? <laughs> uh, you know, it was just just my fam. You know, my little sisters, uh, my girlfriend. We just kind of. Just hung out at my parents' house, had some drinks, had some food, you know, had a couple laughs. It was a good time. Yeah. Um, I, I did Thanksgiving in Philly a couple of years ago and uh, oh, yeah. got to see the, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade uh, in person and all that kind of thing. And uh, this year there was a Rocky Maivia with the uh, with the fanny pack, that classic <laughs> photograph. There was a full float of him, which, <laughs> which was amazing. But, um, yeah, no, um, good stuff. Um, I'm glad to have you glad to have you on the show. Um, so did you um, because you were on uh, Twitter and that's how we were lucky enough to find you. And the Twitter is growing, you know, as more and more content gets added and everything. Did you come onto Twitter just to have social media or was it with the intent of keeping the memory of your brother alive? No, it was just Twitter is just about, um, you know, keeping my brother's memory alive. I signed up. I think I signed on to Twitter in like 2014 and it was just to like, you know, promote Chris, help everybody remember him. And then I got, you know, people kept putting me in touch with different people and we got different projects working, but I mean, yeah, for the most part, it's, uh, it's stuff all about my brother. I mean, sometimes there's other wrestlers that I talk to that I've wrestled and I'll send pictures to them of us wrestling like back in the day, you know, like guys who are like coming up now, like Rhett Titus or whoever, like that I've wrestled on my way up. I'll send him a picture from like 2006. And, you know, I'll say like when I was breaking in, I used to be like the, the heel who fought the, the top guy who was in town. Like I worked like Brutus Beefcake, Lex Luger, Jimmy Snuka, Tito Santana, King Kong Bundy, like anytime those guys would be in town, I I was the heel and I'd work them. So I've sometimes I put pictures of myself and those guys, but uh, yeah, mostly it's just my brother stuff. You that know. must have been a um, you know a, a, besides your family history in wrestling with not just uh, not just Chris but your your granddad as well. 
um, you know, getting to wrestle those legends on a, a regular occurrence. I mean, was that just kind of at that point, did it shock you who was coming into the territory for you to wrestle or was it just kind of like, you know, par for the course sort of thing? No, it's kind of par for the course. I, uh, you know, my brother's style, like my, my first 15 to 20 matches were just against my brother just so I could get ready. It was kind of like on the job training, you know? And then uh, after that, I started, you know, working people. And I kind of had my brother's style, just like bump, 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 you know, miss something off the top rope. To, you know, I like to take a bunch of bumps and fly around. And that kind of made it perfect for me to work the older guys. Like I would say, uh, you know, you know, I'm the heel. I'll, I'll break your eyes. I'll, I'll, you know, in the turnbuckle, I'll sting or splash. I'll strut. I'll turn around. Bump me, bump me, bump me. Shoot me in. Give me a backdrop. Fire up. Fuck it. So I would just kind of fly around for all the... Uh, all the older guys. So yeah, it was kind of just, I don't want to say older guys, all the legends, you know? <laughs> yeah, so, no, I get what you mean. You know, maybe look as good as possible. Absolutely. How was your brother as a trainer? Did he have patience or was he snappy or? Oh dude, my brother was the coolest person in the entire world. That's, uh-huh. uh, you know, this is the story I get into the book about, uh, when I first started breaking in. Um, so, so me and my brother, so this is like after I started working with other people, but I was still really green. My brother and Sandman had a match, and uh, I was going to do a run-in, grab the cane from Sandman, act like I was going to cane Sandman, then turn it and cane Chris with it. So uh, before the match, he's like, bro, he's like, he's like, when you swing the cane, don't swing it like a baseball bat. Swing it over the top and hit me on the top of the head. And uh, I'm like, all right. But uh, when, when I got in there, I go to Kane Sandman, I turn, I see him, and I swing it like a baseball bat, hit him right across the bridge of the nose, and he has a big stripe on his face, right? Uh-huh. And uh, then, uh, you know, me and Sandman cheers with the beers, and Sandman canes me. Uh, so long story short, the next night, me and my brother meet in the ring, you know, we're chest to chest, and, uh, you know, he pushes me. And uh, I just, as a side, I had been... I'd wanted to become a professional boxer before I became a professional wrestler. I was pretty, I was real good with my hands. So he pushed me and I just went boom, boom, boom. And I gave him a one, two, three, black both of his eyes. So now he's got a stripe across of his, his face, two black eyes. And then we're at his house that night. We're having a drink and he's just like, oh, bro, I'm so proud of you. You did so amazing. I'm like, oh, man, I messed your face all up, bro. Like, I'm so sorry. He's like, dude, you did great. I'm like, come on, punch me in the face. Come on. I'm like, give me a shot. Give me your best shot. He's like, dude, I'm not going to punch you in the face. We're drinking. I'm like, come on, don't be a pussy. Punch me, punch me. Smacking him. Uh, he finally, he's like, I'm not going to punch you in the... And he leans over and boom, boom, punches me twice in the face. And I fell off the bar stool. And then uh, the next day, we like went to my mom's for breakfast. And she's like, what the hell did you two do to each other? She's like, look at the moron brothers. So we thought that was funny. Both of us had black eyes. He had, he had two black eyes and a striper across his face. So yeah, long story, uh, long story long. He was very patient with training. He was just always a cool guy. Like I very rarely ever saw him get pissed off at anything really. So Chris is um, t- about ten years older than you. Um, yeah. So when you were born, like were your earliest earliest memories, even with Chris's child, but because of you know your family's uh, wrestling history, were were you born into wrestling in that way? Were you kind of surrounded by it, or was it kind of not really? Oh, yeah, I was completely surrounded. My my brother was already an active. He start he started running shows at our town in Spring Lake when he was like fourteen, wow. and he was getting on a bus and going to Brooklyn with uh, this other dude Scott when they were like thirteen, and they'd go to like these underground like. Uh, 
almost like the in boxing they call them smokers it's like a small place where you know people like bet on boxing but it was like that for wrestling and they would like you know take bumps and get color like my brother would say he was sleeping over scott's house scott's would tell his mom that he's sleeping over our house and two of them would get on a bus and go but my <laughs> earliest memories are like you know when you're a little kid and you have like uh those bars around your bed so you don't roll out um my brother would jump in my bed and be like cage match cage match and freaking we'd fight on the bed you know and also we grew up across uh right across the street from the beach so the only other job he had than a wrestler, he was uh, like a locker boy when he was like 12, 13, 14, 15. So, uh, you know, down at the beach, it was, he'd, you know, be throwing me and all the kids over waves. And, you know, there's a Roddy Piper wave. There's a Ric Flair wave. Oh, no, Andre the Giant wave. If it was a shitty wave, it was an Ultimate Warrior wave because he thought it <laughs> But, uh, yeah, everything was just wrestling for him. Wrestling and training. You know? So how much um, was, you know, Popeye Chuck Richards sort of, you know, brought into conversation? How much did he interact with um, with Chris? And Well, a ton because so it's a very sordid tale. Like, um, so that's not Chris's blood grandfather, nor my blood grandfather. Yeah. Chris was my half brother, but I didn't ever know that because we just grew up in the same house together. His father, who I'm very close with now. Um, got remarried to this woman named Giselle. Giselle's father was Chuck Richards. So when he would go see his father when he was a kid, he would go see Chuck Richards, who was Giselle's father, if that makes sense. It's a, it, that's why, like, we never tried to, like, really explain it because it's, like, kind of like a sordid, you know, like my mom, Chris was from my mom's first marriage. And my mom got married again and had me and my little sisters. And Chris just grew up in the house with us and we, just I never even knew what a half brother meant, so it didn't really make a difference, you know. Yeah. But so, yeah, he's uh, he 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 used to tell a story how he was over there one time at uh at Chuck Richards' house and he saw you know just a bunch of wrestlers coming by and he was just like man, let's say maybe he was like four or five. He's like I just saw these like big giant dudes with uh you know with like beards and like long hairs. Like I didn't really kind of know what they did. I just like I just wanted to be one of those dudes. I thought they were really awesome. He's like, and then I got older and I found out what they did. And he just kind of went from there, you know? So it was like, at first sight, he just, you know, loved wrestling. And that's all he ever did. All he ever, you know, all he ever cared about. Like he, you know, I'm, I pretty much played every sport. My brother played zero sports except wrestling. And, it, you know, it, it was funny because like later on, I was a pitcher in baseball and I had like a cannon for an arm. And I'd give my brother a, a, a catcher's mitt. I'd be like, all right, come on, catch. And I'd freaking whip it at him, and he'd just kind of paw at the baseball, and it would flying up in the air, and I'd catch it. I'm like, catch the ball. He's like, oh, I'm so talented. i catch it and throw it at the same time. He just wasn't very good at other sports. But he was great at wrestling. See, but I get the feeling of that. If, if he had uh, applied himself, he would have been great at just about anything because he's so athletic and, you know. Um, yeah, when he applies himself, he's a, he was a madman, you know. So in terms of like other academics and stuff like that, was that kind of out the window as well, or was it kind no, of? No, no. He uh, actually, it, he he was in this book called "Who's Who Amongst American High School Students." He always got straight A's, lettered in rest like lettered lettered in amateur wrestling. You know, was uh, you know, my family was really like, you know, go to college, you know, get a career. So, you know, he went out to Smoky Mountain, promising our my family that you know he was going to enroll in classes at. The University of uh, Tennessee and then wrestling kind of happened obviously you know he was in, like working for WWE by the time he was like 20 and then I think he was like signed when he was like 23 or whatever yeah so yeah it's all he ever wanted to do was wrestle and 
That's all he ever did do. So was the Northeast um, like territory? I mean, it wasn't even territory by that point. Just WWF was that kind of your main, yours and his main exposure to wrestling at that point. I can't imagine uh-huh. there was much else. I mean, I, I mean, well, AWA was on ESPN. ESPN so. Well, no, well, see, so his since he was such, I mean, he he had like like right now in his old room at my parents' house, there's probably ten thousand wrestling magazines from the 60s 50s even going all the way up to you know the, the, the like the 90s because and and every tape every everything my brother had and he had it like categorized he had like um like folders full of like records like tape a were these matches and he'd have all these vhs tapes and so his exposure to wrestling was everything anywhere anything he get his hands on just wrestling all the time Oh, so so he was like an original tape trader then. Just, yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah he, and even in the magazines, I, I gave like when I see the guys, like I'll go to House of Hardcore to say what's up to Dreamer and those guys, and I brought Tommy. Uh, you know, I'm like, here's like, you know, I'll grab a handful of like 50 magazines and put them in a shoebox, and I'm like, here, Tommy, enjoy these for a little while and give them back to me, and he'll send me like, uh, like, what do you call it, like uh, screenshots. He's like, what was your brother doing? He'll say like, um. Uh, you know, Colonel De Beers versus Iron Sheik, uh, you know, six to seven minutes promo. Is, like he write, he would like write down his whole like how he would like book the show. He would write it in the in the magazines and uh, like like little inserts in there and change the rankings and shit. So yeah, he was always just obsessed with uh, with wrestling. Oh, uh, that's like crazy that that you know all of that stuff is still there with all of his handwriting and stuff like that. Have you oh, thought yeah, about never... sort of? Um, putting that stuff out there for people to see or yeah i've never i've never i don't really touch his stuff i, I kind of just leave it where where it is you know i mean you know i would never throw any of his things out i would no. just i just have kept it all and uh and like his figures and his and his, like when he was a kid and his wrestling magazine they just let people who enjoy him let them borrow him for a couple of years however long i don't want him to sit there collect dust i read them all already so i just give them out to people to to kind of hang on to. Did did you find out stuff about him that you didn't know once you were able to kind of go through a lot of his collection and stuff like that? I mean, not anything personal, but kind of his how he thought about wrestling and his kind of psychology and everything. Well, no, because I kind of already knew it. Like I was on a podcast the other day, and they're like, they're like when you were a kid, was it like um, was it weird seeing your brother on TV? And I was like. I'm like no, because he would like get like say like for WWE he'd get off like Thursday morning and had to be back. I'm sorry, he'd get off like on Wednesday morning and have to be back Thursday night, something like that. Mm-hmm. And he, he'd be like, all right, dude. He's like, when we get back, I'll take you to the batting cages, you know. And then like he'd be at the South End Beach by our family's house, hanging on the beach. So it's like I still see him like every week, even when he was with WWE and the shows that were close, he would just take me to, you know. So. so yeah, I pretty much is, you know, that was, and, and he was the the best, like he would come, he was like in for career day for me and career day for my little sisters. And he was just kind of like always around. He wasn't just, you know, on the road all the time. He was on the road all the time, but he always made a effort to be home as well. You know, that's wonderful. That's, that's youth as well that you can see he, he, like success came so early to him, but I think like sort of the youthful energy of being able to do that as well, you know, um, it's great that that kind of like shone through for for you as well. So um, when because you know you wrestled um, locally and sort of 
regionally, I guess, before even going to Smoky Mountain. Um, was was he kind of um, nervous about moving that far away from home? Like, had he traveled yeah. that much before yeah, then? He, he was, man. I remember when he was leaving, like, I was freaking crying my eyes out. I bet. I was crying his eyes out. And, I mean, it was like, it wasn't too shortly after that we went out to Tennessee to see him and everything, you know. But just his first leaving was like, earth shattering because he was just like the you know he was the best it was like you know but uh then you know his career got going we went to visit him in tennessee before you knew what he was in wwe and then he'd move back you know close to home so he was always around and you know that's like and then you know when i was in high school he had this great big mansion like there, during the whole ecw time and, and i you know i go off with him to ecw but if they were going too far i would take care of his house and i'd have like house parties with my friends at his big mansion in Colts Neck. I talk about that in the book, but it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we're like, going to talk parties as well. Yeah. We'll definitely yeah, talk parties. Yeah, we had like the parties at his boat, at his house. We, people used to call him WrestleFest. And, uh, cause he had this huge house. He had a, you know, he had a bunch of, he had like a SUV and a sports car. He had a, a room that was called a jungle room with pythons, lizards, um, all kind of crazy shit. He had a room with tanning beds in it. He had my, my bedroom. And then there was like, uh, it, it was insane. I remember, like, what, just one time, for example, like, I would, when he first got the house, I was, I stayed there pretty much all through high school. And so he'd be like, oh, what do you want to eat for dinner? Call this place up. And when you call this place up, they bring the food to the door and you just sign for it. You know, he's like, if you're here with your friends, you call this place up and you just sign for it. I thought they were just really big wrestling fans. Like, and we were like bringing my brother food. So I remember having a party and be like 20 people sleeping there. I'm like, you guys want to eat something? And there's this dude that comes here and he just brings food. They're like, really? Like, yeah, just order anything. And they're like, all right. It was like DoorDash before DoorDash. Uh-huh. So I'd call him up. They'd bring all this food. And I remember like, you know, maybe like six months later, he's like, Johnny, why is there a $11,000 in charges on my uh, on my American Express? <laughs> I'm like, For, what do you what do you mean? He's like, the, I'm like, he's like the food guy. He's like, I'm like, yeah, you told me that I thought he really loved wrestling and just gave you free shit. He's like, it's not free. He's like, I'm freaking out my credit card. <laughs> but yeah, he, you know, he he didn't really give a shit, you know. But yeah, and, was... and the th- the thing is in uh, in Smoky Mountain as well. If you're a heel, you know, you're not making much from the gimmicks either. I can imagine. So you oh, know, no. yeah. At, th- at that time, he was, uh, yeah. Th- I, I skipped over the whole Smoky Mountain time. This, this in Smoky Mountain, the 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 culture of wrestling there was so much different than like everything I anything I'd ever seen. Like. Yeah. Or my parents had ever seen. Like I remember going there with my my mom and dad and like little sisters and we, we went there and you know, we were in seats like two A and we saw these these two chicks and we're like, Hey, do you know where seats two A are? Like, Yeah, sure, honey, come with us, you're right, you're right near us. They're all nice and sweet. And then we sat down and first match comes on, it's a dirty white boy versus somebody, and these two chicks go crazy. Like, dirty white boy, you got bigger titties than my mama, you piece of shit, son of a bitch. And they're throwing shit in the ring. We're like, holy shit. So it was definitely different than, than you know, what I was used to. So in, with Chris as well, was he this kind of a... Um... A, a major growing up part like sort of you know aspect of his life as well but uh, living so far from home and you know getting to work and become friends with guys like you know balls mahoney you know complete hell raises um well, you know the funny thing like balls lived lives lived grew up set six blocks away from my parents house 
So I, my brother and Balls knew each other from, you know, elementary school. So I had known Balls since I was a little kid. So, uh, you know, I'd, I'd been around those guys like forever. And, you know, <laughs> Balls was such a character. I have a lot of funny stories about him in the book. If you ask me, I'll, I'll throw you a couple. But um, yeah, I mean, I've known Balls forever. I've known Sabu forever. I've no, you know, I've known a lot of those guys because they would come through the place. My house has always been like the hub where everybody hangs out, even my friends. So everybody like, hangs out in the backyard. You know, his friends would hang out there. They just happen to be wrestlers, you know. Um. So did it kind of seem amongst, you know, that group of friends, Chris, uh, you know, Sabu, Balls, etc., that they were all kind of getting noticed at the same time and that it was all kind of taken off for all of them? And what made some stay in the northeast what made some go down south um was it just whoever had the most interest in them i guess i think it was like um like that was like ovw before ovw like yeah those were the guys going to wwe and also those were the guys that were getting going to japan for like crazy paydays like i remember i think sabu went there first and then brought my brother over with him my brother made like like you know, at the time he was making a couple hundred bucks, but he'd go to Japan and they would make like, you know, like like seventeen thousand dollars for a week. You know, like they were making tons of money. So they, uh, I, I forget your question. What was it, dude? Well, yeah, they, so you know, because the big talent pool and they went wherever the money was at the time. Yeah. And since my brother was always so close to, you know, we're real close to New York and close to all the arenas, he would always. You know, go. He'd go to WWE and he'd do like he, you know, like I did, like work as an extra, or like do jobs for, and then, then he got, you know, picked up and, you know, got got the whole skip gimmick put on him. So, um, when he was working as an extra in uh, WWF before the skip um, gimmick, who was he in the ring with? Because I don't think I've I've seen a lot of like sort of you know names who would go on to become huge names like Spicoli. You know, uh, Rhino. I mean, so many names, but I don't think I ever saw any uh, matches of yeah. your brother unless they weren't on TV. Oh. I, yeah, I'm not quite sure. The only thing I ever, ever saw from that time was uh, was him and the photographer Bill Apter, like in a in the ring. He's the photographer of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, having like a goof around match in like you know, like 1994 or, or 1993. Uh-huh. So you know, it, they would. Yes, I, I I don't know either. That's the the answer. I know he was like going to Japan, doing all that stuff, and then you got to think he was very young too. Like you know, when he won the titles, 1996, he he won the tag titles in 1995 or 1996, and he was 96. born. Yeah. Yeah, and he was born in 72, so he was like 24. W- was know? there ever a? Uh, did he ever feel that it was a lot? at such a young age or was he kind of like just really enjoying it and just i mean did he and well, did he see himself as kind of wrestlers are kind of it, it seems like they can be more self-aware now in terms of their place in wrestling did he see himself as the future sort of thing he 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 went with the with the skip thing he uh he didn't particularly like it you know and uh so after that had run its course he they they, they put him you know, he, he was training guys. He, he was like, they were thinking of a way to repackage him. And he like trained The Rock. And he like, he had his first, The Rock had his first couple matches against my brother. He was like up there training people. And then uh, I forget what kind of gimmick they had for him. But also along the same time, the 
you know, was when like like Michaels and Tammy were, were fucking behind his back and I didn't know that it was a real thing because it's stuff that I had heard and I'd ask my brother and he'd say, oh, it's just rumors, you know, and I believe yeah. that too. And then after my brother passed, she came out, she's like, oh yeah, I fucked this one and that one. So he was going through all that shit at the same time. So I think he was just happy after that ran its course and he, he tried to quit and Vince was like, you have to give me something in writing. And he just like wrote on a piece of paper, like I quit Chris Candido and like put it on Vince's desk. <laughs> and then like a couple of days later, I was at my, at my aunt Kathy's house and uh, my mom was like, Johnny, she's like, Cook's here. That's our family calls him Cook. When I was a kid, I couldn't say Chris, so I called him Cook. She's yeah. like, Cook's here in a limousine. Uh, you know, he wants you to go somewhere with him. So I got in a limo with him. I'm like, what's up, bro? He's like, he's like, oh, I'm going to this new federation. I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous. You got to come with me. So uh, we went to the ECW arena and there was all these people, you know, looking into the car, seeing who it was, knocking on the windows. I was like, holy shit, you know? And uh, I remember I was like, I, I was, if he was 24, I was 14. I remember thinking like, are these good people going to know who he is? Like, you know, so, but when uh, he came to the ring, he worked Spike Dudley that night. And the crowd went crazy for him. And then the same night was uh, Tommy Dreamer, Brian Lee scaffold match. I'd never yeah. seen anything like that where he takes the bump off the scaffold. I'm like, holy shit. So from then on, I was like, this is freaking awesome. So I was going with him to every show at ECW. And uh, the BWO used me and my friends to carry signs out to the ring for them. I remember uh, my first time on pay-per-view, I was like 14. And I was ran through the crowd with a sign. And I tripped over the the guardrail I fell on my face and I uh you know and everybody we all I got back up and walk, walked around with the signs I back to the locker room and I was like oh you took your first bump good job I was so fucking embarrassed but now I don't care but I see it everywhere it's on like the rise and fall VCW you can see me fall on the ground it, like that, that <laughs> like I can't escape it you know but it's it, at the time I was embarrassed now I think it's funny I was like, somebody uh, grabbed my leg, I swear to God. Oh, <laughs> uh, there's, there's so much to go off um, from that, because I'm sure you probably get that. I'm, I want to go back to Smoky Mountain, but like a couple of things. Did you feel that you there was a obligation to write the book because of the misinformation that is potentially out there about Chris and Tammy and some of the things that she put out there as well? Like, was that a bit of a motivator? Well, so... To, so to be 100% honest, I had started writing a book. So when, let's see, like, I think I was with my brother every freaking day for the last, for the last four years of his life. Mm -hmm. And, uh, cause you know, he, his car was all, uh, I'm sorry, his license was all fucked up. He was all fucked up. She was all fucked up. I was pretty much their ride everywhere. And, uh, so around early 2004, we were, uh, you know, you know, we were in a restaurant and like, cause I'd pick him up. We'd go train, we'd go to the restaurant or go to, you know, eat out, whatever. And he was telling me, he's just like, he's like all these fucking guys on the Indies, you know, they, they look like shit. They have no, they have no bodies. They're, you know, they're, they're no good. When I was 18, I was writing Smoky Mountain, going to Japan, da, 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 da. I'm like, dude, that's why you were a fucking standout. And I'm nuts. I'm like, let's, let's get this shit going. Let's, you know, come on. Like, what are you doing? You, you know, you're 29 years old. So, like, right from there, he's like, fuck it. He's like, fuck doing drugs. Um, you know, and he, so we went, we're like, let's roll up to the, to every, uh, every arena looking like, looking nice, looking like Ric Flair instead of coming out looking like a fucking slob. Cause, you know, he'd roll up in like, you know, fucking like tracksuit pants and just a hoodie. 
And then we went shopping, we'd roll up in polos. And, and then like, after he said no more drugs, it was like literally within the next couple of months, we were going to raw to, to hang out there. We were going to TNA and, you know, TNA picked them up first, but, uh, you know, I, I forget the initial question, but basically it was, yeah, the last couple of years of his life, I was with him like completely. And I saw him like turn his whole shit around. He felt like an old man because he had been in the business for so long. But yeah. in reality, he was just like 29, you know, or 30. Crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, he was, uh, was probably 31, when he, 30 when he turned his life around, you know. And because like when my mom would hear things, oh, what about, oh, this is where I, I wanted to go. So, you know, he passed away in uh, in 05. And I was obviously fucking crushed. And, uh, like, it took me a while to process it. And about, like, 2010, I started writing a book. for my Because I'd see guys that chose, like, you know, why don't you write a book about your brother? You're with him 24-7. Write a book. So I started trying to write the book. I got about, like, 100 pages in. And then I read it back. And I felt like I hadn't even scratched the surface. Like, there's so much. Because, like, almost every day with the two of us was a story. You know, so I'm just like, you know, I, I put it down for a while. Then I, this guy contacts me on Twitter and he's like, I'm doing a book about your brother. Can I call you and interview you? I'm like, yeah, of course. So we're talking and I'm like, by the way, I have a book I started writing in 2010. You want to take a look at it? He's like, yeah. So I emailed it over to him. He's like, this is great shit. You know, he's like, can I use this and I'll give you co-author credit? I'm like, hell yeah, use it. And I'll give you more stories to go along with it. So that's how me and John Cosper paired up because I already had like 100 something pages written. You know, I, I, I started from my brother's funeral and went back. And then, you know, John Cosper started like at the front of it. Like my, that's what my book did. And then, you know, he started at the beginning of his career. And then, you know, then I just so we just and then I started just filling in with funny stories, shit like that. So it's going to be really like like the, the stuff about him dying is going to be like real raw because it was like really fresh in my mind about, you know, everybody who was, you know, from the day he the, the second he died and I was in the room with him till, you know, all the people like in the entire wrestling community, like was all in our little town of Spring Lake. And then like, you know, just all the stuff after that. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's how we linked up. I, I didn't I, I, I wanted to write the wrongs about what Tammy would say or people would say they'd be like, oh, you know, cheating like Tammy cheating on Chris. I think Chris was in on like like into it. I'm like, I used to live at their fucking house and at nighttime, fucking Tammy would scream, Johnny, your brother's trying to kill himself. And then I would run downstairs and she'd be fucking raining punches down on his face as he's passed out. And I would fucking, I'd be like, oh my God, I'd like block her. And then she'd go get knives out of the butcher block and fucking chase him around. Then she'd grab the phone, lock herself in the car. He'd break the fucking car window. She'd go running. I'd go, like, it was fucking insanity. I remember walking into the, to the garage one day and he's fucking trying to hang himself. He's hanging with a fucking dog leash. And I tried to cut him off a fucking, uh, what do you call it, with like hedge clippers. Yeah. So that's so I'm like, yeah, he was really into it, trying to fucking kill himself. I'm sure he liked, you know, he wasn't into it at all. And like me and him got in a big fight in, uh, you know, in, in, in like Boston years later. And uh, because like we, so she stopped being part of the, being, doing wrestling at all. And then it was just me and him. And she, I guess she was, like, kind of jealous. She got, like, left back at home all the time because, you know, me and him would just drive to Boston, to Connecticut, to West Virginia, to whatever. You know, we'd have a great time. And we'd always, like, he didn't want her there either. We'd always, like, cook up some reason why she couldn't come. We'd be like, oh, you know, it's just going to be, like, you know, me, Johnny, and Balls in the same car. You don't want to do that. Like, we'd always, like, so, but one time she, like, demanded to come. 
and she fucking completely ruined the trip. Like she attacked some dude and then puked all over some bar and then started attacking Chris. And then, uh, you know, this is a, I'm making a really long story short, but oh, back, no, in, no, back no. in the hotel room, you know, he's, he holds, he's puts her on the bed. He's like, babe, calm down. And she like fucking bit his face. I just couldn't stand to watch it anymore. I grabbed him. I threw him out into the, into the hallway, closed the door behind him. We started fucking fighting. He's trying to fight to get in the room. I'm fighting him to get out of the room. And we get to like a stalemate. I'm like, let's leave this bitch here now. Let's just go. Let's go. And uh, we got in the car and he's like, dude, I can't leave her. Like I brought her into this business, you know? And uh, so, you know, we, we came back to the, we went to this dude, uh, John Alfonso's house and got some somas and came back and she was like, Hey guys, what's up? I ordered you guys food. And she, kisses my brother goes to kiss me i'm like don't fucking kiss me and he's like Yo, okay babe. i'm like no fuck that dude she almost killed us because in the car she was fighting us i was like 19 i was, it was pouring rain i had been drinking one with people you know and i'm fucking driving in boston i don't know where the fuck i am so i was just mad like and i just had enough of that shit like i used to see that shit all the time and i finally like stood like stood up for both of us you know when when the book comes out as is usually the case with books there are going to be a lot of receipts from, you know, people who read the book. And I guess I, I, I can imagine you don't want to focus on Tammy too much in the book. Oh, uh, apart from career wise. That's know. all. Yeah. It's just career wise. It's, uh, you know, yeah. that's all it is. But I mean, I just just to put the to put the things to rest, like, oh, was my brother into her like banging dudes? Absolutely not. Yeah. No, he wasn't into that shit at all. Did did that affect him when he was hearing that? I mean, it must obviously did affect him. I mean, did that yeah. like sort of make him feel insecure and self doubting and and not just about himself as a man, I guess, but as a as an athlete as well? Did he feel that he wasn't good enough at any point because of that? Or? No, it, not talent wise, but he just he really wanted to believe it was just rumors, and he believed like he fucking told me. Mm. I'm a little bit more rambunctious than him. Like I'll, I'll, I'm, I'll, I'm quick to fucking fight somebody for real. My brother wasn't at all, and uh, like yeah. he's like, dude, you're gonna come across Sean sometime in your career. Just fucking be nice. Don't fucking punch him. Don't fucking be an asshole. I'm like, all right. And then when I went to WWE, I'm sitting down. I'm fucking getting changed. And he's so I knew Jericho back from like you know ECW days. And uh, I'm like, I, so I'm talking to Jericho and we're like, just kind of like walking and talking and I sit down, I'm like putting my boots on and Shawn Michaels sits right next to me and, you know, we do the rest, wrestle handshake, how you doing brother? And Jericho's like looking at him, he goes, it's Candido's brother. And Michael's like, like kind of looks at me like that and I'm kind of like, you know, and, and like part of me wanted to fucking kill him. And then I, well, I knew it was all WD guys. It was like. I, and I was on, it was the first match. So I'm like, I can't fucking do it. Cause I was wrestling balls and Axel that night. I'm like, I can't fucking fuck this up for them. But yeah, I mean, he, so what he said to me was, he's just like, he's like, kid, your brother was really fucking good. He goes, sometimes in life, you, you know, you, you gotta be, you gotta be an asshole and you gotta be out for yourself. I'm like, all right. You know, I wish I had a more exciting story, but that was our exchange. No, uh, yeah. it's, um, I mean, if anything, your brother showed that you don't have to be an asshole to yeah. you know be respected and to be a great athlete as well you maybe have to be an asshole to get pushed in wwf to the title picture yeah. <laughs> but um yeah. so when when he had that match in uh on raw in 97 uh as part of the ecw angle did he talk to you about that what the locker room was like that night and who he bumped into etc no no not really i mean see like i i more remember like like time periods not exactly like like, mm. I, I remember, like, you know, 
he worked with Brian Christopher that night. Um, I know that WWE was paying him like I'm sorry, WCW was paying him a shitload of money to be their cruiserweight champion. After that, that's like that's like when people were jumping ship to go to WCW, and then when they went under, he was still under their contract for like a year after that. So he was getting like like 14, 15 grand a week just to do nothing, and that's like that's like really when his bad habit started. No, that started, but got even fucking worse. But then, uh, you know, around that time is when. I want to say 2002 is when he moved like right back close to home and started getting, uh, you know, I, I started, we, so back, so we come from like a small town in, in New Jersey, right on the, right on the beach where everybody knows everybody. Everybody went to fucking high school together, you know, that kind of deal. So I remember we were looking for a house in, in Manasquan, which is where our high school was. And, uh, like we even stopped at Seven Eleven. So we, we found a house. We fucking put the down payment on it. We were driving there at 7-Eleven. We see a bunch of our friends. And this one kid, Pat Morrow, sees me and goes, holy shit, it's Cook. Like, just from being a kid, he remembered him. And then, uh, you know, so my brother had this house in Manasquan, and we had this rule, no somas until until nighttime, because he would take somas during the day and be fucking on cloud nine or, yeah. you know, go fucked up. So we started, you know, doing that. And then with that, he was training more. And then all my friends. So his house, like the ocean is like three blocks up. But his house, like his backyard was the Manasquan River. So we had we had boats, kayaks, all kind of shit. People in his backyard grilling stuff all the time. And he's like, he's like, damn, like and it's like his head was finally clear. He's like, this is fucking great. You know, we'd go to the gym every day. We, you know, a lot of times we'd pick up balls or we'd, we'd mess with them. And uh, that's when he kind of that's like kind of like when the seeds of of him, uh, of him kicking drugs like happened he's just like like yeah what you know what am i doing like what the fuck you know he's like i wish i would have just bought this house here instead of spending the, the millions on the house in colt's neck and moved back to manasquan but that was like his you know I, that's where the, the seeds of his sobriety happened like in manasquan which is right next to spring lake where we grew up and then uh then like right after he got sober it was like right back to Right back to the top, like almost overnight, you know. And and it seems, you know, because if I remember correctly, he and obviously we don't need to dwell on this. And if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. But um, he died from complications due to the surgery that he was having. If um, well, yeah. So the, so, I mean, people see people say that you know, Damien said one thing, I said another. People said it's a blood clot. That that could be it. But I know it was. Uh, on on the official autopsy, it said uh, acute pneumonia, so that's that's what ultimately killed him. Could it have been a blood clot from taking the because after the fucking surgery, you know, after the surgery he was fine. He was on TV, cutting promos. He got jumped in the fucking his wheelchair, like you know, he didn't need a wheelchair, but he got they put him in one, whatever. And uh, he, you know, I remember talking to him on the way home, and he's like, well, you know, he's like, what are they saying about me on the internet? He's like, oh, they're they're saying like you're like Joe Theismann. He's like, who the fuck is Joe Theismann? I'm like, I don't know, some fucking guy who played football or something. He's like, some great quarterback. I don't, they didn't play football either. But uh, um, I was like, dude, they're saying like, you know, you're one of the greats, and you know, it's gonna suck to see you injured. And uh, then I talked to Shane. He's like, you know, Shane Douglas was there. He's like, your brother's doing fine. He's gonna be coming home. And then, uh, you know, when he got home, I I talked to him like, yo, what's going on? I'm gonna stop by and pick you up. And he's like, all right. I'm like. Uh, I forget what happened. I'm like, I'm, I'm like, well, you're not going to go to the gym because you're hurt. I'm like, I'll, I'll stop by there later. I'm just going to go to the gym. 
And then I went to the gym, I came back, and then I got a call that he was in the hospital. And I was like, oh, fuck. And, you know, I ran to the hospital and I got there, like, uh, you know, at like the last seconds. Uh, you know, it sucked, you know. Yeah. And then it had sucked even more having to tell my mom, seeing my little sisters go up there. And, like, I, like I had already, you know, I talk about this in the book, but when, when I was, like, when I was younger, he was addicted to somas. And if he didn't have somas, he'd have a seizure no matter where we were. Sometimes he'd bite his tongue and fucking blood would be shooting all over the fucking place. And uh, and I'd bring him to the hospital. Well, first off, I'd get on top of him. His eyes would be, like, dilated. And I'd be like, dude, 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 wake up, wake up, wake up. And I'd talk to him until he would fucking, you know, come out of it. And then the ambulance would take him to the hospital. And then we'd normally, he'd be like, fuck, we got to be at the Hammerstein Ballroom. Let's get out of here. Rip the shit out of his arm. We'd go wherever we got to go. So me seeing him in the hospital, I was just like, fuck, this is, like, just another fucking yeah. rodeo you know maybe he fucking relapsed and fucked up and i'll just pull him out of it again but i couldn't you know so mm. but it was tough but I, i'm just so happy that like if he had to go he went he went out the way he did like not on drugs you know back on his back on top fucking you know just the way you know the way he was and people all remember him fondly and love him so much and you Absolutely. know it's it's really great you know it's 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 almost unbelievable and with those um and as i want to backtrack a little bit uh but i want to just mention because he you know he passed away around the time of the ecw uh relaunched the one night stand and the uh the hardcore homecoming and all that kind of thing and uh i just remember the deafening chris and candido chants it was yeah. it was wonderful to hear it was it was really emotional and I it know. was just yeah and I can, I mean, God, it was emotional for me. I can't imagine what it was like. Oh my, yeah, it was emotional for me too because we had we yeah. had just been there. So Tom Pritchard was an agent at the time. Yeah. And both of us were there. And, you know, he'd be like, before like Raw or SmackDown would happen, he'd be like, Johnny, go in the ring and train with Arn Anderson and those guys. So I'd go to the ring and like train with like, you know, Arn Anderson would be holding court or whatever. And then, you know, um, my brother's like, yeah, like, I'm going to fucking, I'm going to go back to work here. And we like, we were even working on his, like, they used to do this little, like, we were working on like his new walkout or whatever. And then TNA is like, well, we want you to come here. And here's like X amount of dollars up front. And he's like, all right, you know, something to that effect. Like, so basically he's like a prize fighter. He needs money. So he went where, where the money was first. So, uh, but yeah, I, I remember that, that, that whole time was, fucking insane you know like and like i said having the small having the, our small beach town be like just every wrestler in the world just there you know and then you know and i have like a real close group of like 15 to 20 best friends and then sandman and sabu stayed with me for the next couple of days like we all rented like our friends own a hotel in town and they gave us the hotel and we everybody hung out and like you know i had the, the like support of the whole wrestling industry it, it was you know, if, like I said, if my brother had to go, I'm glad he, uh, you know, I'm glad he did it clean and on top. And just f for the book, I remember like in 2002 or 2003, my brother had left the Von Erichs book on the coffee table in my parents' house. And my mom, uh, I'm sorry, my brother was thumbing through it. And my mom was like, Christopher, she's like, this is what you want. You're going to end up on a coffee table book. And he's like, Ma, if the guys remember, if if the fans remember me years from now, he's like, I'd be overjoyed to be in a coffee table book. 
So I'm like, yeah, now he's got his coffee table book, you know. Absolutely. And a new action figure as well. And um, Figure, yeah, everything. And, and the thing is, I mean, if you don't mind me asking, so do you own Chris Candido? Do you own that name, that likeness, et cetera? Like, how does that work? Yeah. Well, I mean, like my, my mom and his father, um, they're just like, Johnny, take care of anything wrestling related. I'm yeah. like, all right, you know, so I've, no, I've been in that world my whole life. I don't mind taking care of stuff like that, you know. So, it's wonderful as well that like, because you are so open to, you know, because understandably, you know, Martha Hart doesn't want Own Hart to have merchandise too much, you know, understandably. But you are completely open to whatever anyone yeah. wants to do to preserve your brother's memory. And, absolutely. Um, he wants to, that's what we, that's what he would have wanted. So that's what I'm going to do, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, right. So I am one of those um, heathens that is a huge fan of the new generation WWF. Um, so I've, I've got to ask you some questions because the thing is, did he, okay, he wasn't too big on the skip character, but when people would talk to him about it, as when people may have said, oh, I love the body done I thought they were great. Did that kind of take him by surprise? Was he kind of like, really? You like that shit? Like, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it, I'm trying to think. He was so happy to be up there and to have like reached his goal and to kind of like show my mom and dad like, look, I can make a living doing this yeah. and like earn a lot of money and doing what I love, you know, because he was always just a really passionate guy. He wanted, you know, he started powerlifting at like fucking 14 and wrestling at 14. Like, so I think he just it was more like a validation that all his hard work had paid off and that, you know, he'd, he'd finally made it. So what? I think regardless of it, I'm, <laughs> I know this is. This isn't political. I should, I'm not even gonna say it. But he's like, I remember when he when he came when he was like, uh, I'm trying to think of a of, of a fill-in word. He's like, he's like, he's like, dude. He's like, at that time, I was happy to make it. He's like, if if they had a song that that I came out to that would say like, little pussy, little pussy. He's like, I would have come out to that song. Like, I don't care. He's like, I'm getting a great payday. I'm at the place I love. You know. He's like, I. He's like, whatever. He was just happy to be there, you know. In 1995 WWF as well, it wasn't exactly out of the ordinary for someone to have a gimmick like that as well. So, you know. Oh, any- yeah, everybody had, like, wacky sh- gimmicks and shit, you know. Yeah. So was was it kind of when – because Tammy went up there first, probably about seven or eight months earlier, is uh, Tamara um, – what was her name? Murphy. Murphy, that was it, yes. Yeah. Um. So did he kind of assume that his time would come eventually because of that? Um, not because of that, because she... Well, no, no, that's unfair for me to word it like that, but, like, sort of, you know, um, they maybe brought her in because they really wanted him or kind of, you know, there was more chance for him to go there or... I I think he just saw it as, you know, as a, uh, almost like an, an inevitable that he would be there and it was just her that went first, you know, because they needed... She was very... It turned out that, you know, she was either going to go to the University of Miami or go with my brother to Smoky Mountain. She chose Smoky Mountain. And it turned out because as Jim Cornette said, he couldn't pay my brother enough to like live and, you know, do all that shit. And my brother didn't want to be asking my parents for money all the time. And, uh, but he's like, he's like, I could, I could pay Chris and Tammy money and that would be enough for them both to live and like have an apartment and shit like that. So I think he just saw it as, you know, she got there first because she ended up being really good on the mic and all that shit. And then he was up there second. So it was just kind of like a foreshadowing, you know? 
It, it, it seemed like when he first came up and when they were doing the vignettes, yeah, yes, she was talking, but he was talking a lot on the vignettes as well. But it seemed that after that, he didn't really get a chance to talk too much because, you know, Sonny kind you know, she did overshadow because they are going to push, they're going to market, you know, the, the girl, the pretty girl over the talented wrestler, sad, you know, very sadly. Yeah. Um, you know, was there frustration, not with the gimmick, but like sort of the chance, the, the you know, the, the thing that he wasn't really allowed to do promos, all that kind of thing after the Barry Horowitz uh, thing. And how did he enjoy working with Barry? He, he thought Barry Horowitz was good. He thought he was very underrated, said he was a really good worker. Um, again, I think it was like it was time and place. You know, he was in his early 20s. He was he was happy to be there. He wanted to do a lot more, though. You know what I mean? He want he knew and everybody else knew that for him, the fucking sky was the limit as far as as far as working could go. Like, you know, he was really fucking good. At, at what he did like because he, he was brought in with that old school kind of mentality but had the athleticism to do kind of new school stuff and he was just like you know on a lot of people's like you know top 10 lists and everybody loved you know he was always he was never uh one of those guys like oh i won't put that guy over you know i'm not gonna take that he was always like yeah sure let's do it like he was always really open to everything so mm, i he never told me it was frustrating. Oh, I mean, he did say it was a, a pain in the ass. Like he wished he could have just been himself there instead of being like skip the body Donna, but he never looked upon it like bad in the future. You know what I mean? Or at the time, yeah, it was just, it was just, it just was, it just was what it was. Like he, he you know, like let's say like WWE is the belly of the beast. and Everybody's in the belly of the beast. And then the belly fucking spits a couple people out. And then they circle around, they climb back up. Like he just kind of figured it was going to be one of those kind of deals, you know. Was he sold on? Because it, it was kind of weird that you would have the singles run and then immediately be put into a tag team before Skip really ran out of steam. You know, they did the the Louis Piccoli um, mini storyline that kind of went nowhere. And you know, I'm guessing they had Especially, known each other for a little while as well, and so it must have been fun for them to work together. Yeah, they they've been great friends, and I was gonna say especially for Tom Pritchard who liked to have the fucking long hair, and he had to get his <laughs> haircut, and he was like fucking really upset about that. Yeah. Oh, so so yeah. I mean, um, were they sold on a tag title ring? Was it like we're gonna push you if we put you as a team, and this is what's gonna happen, sort of thing? Uh, I I think he was. I, I know he was grateful for for the, for the chance he was getting and the money he was making at such a young age. Mm-hmm. Like I remember like like being there, you know at whatever arena we were at probably you know meadowlands or msg and my brother getting like a big fedex envelope and i just figured it was like his itinerary for wherever the fuck he was going and he opened it up and it was like 60 grand in cash like all like all bands of like ten thousands and he like fucking gave me a thousand dollars i'm like 14 you know he was just like so the the money was you know when you're in the belly of the beast there's a lot of money to be made that's why everybody's trying to get there absolutely yeah you know he he took it for what it was. I, I think he wished he could have been himself, but he was okay with with doing what they told him to do because Vince was his boss at the time, you know? It was kind of weird once, um, you know, they turned face. Um, okay, they had, you know, they had Jimmy Shoulders, and I know him and, he and Chris <laughs> were longtime friends as well. Um, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> seeing that as a nine-year-old child and trying to explain it to your parents is kind of... 
Well, well no, <laughs> so, like Jimmy was just fucking. Like I, I forget how they met. They met like Jimmy was like painting our house or something. Uh-huh. It was like like ten years. He was like ten years older than Chris. And then like like Is later he? on, we're okay. like like he would like my brother. My brother was let's say my brother was like fifteen, sixteen, and he didn't have a way to get to the gym, and Jimmy would drive him. And then, like, like years later, it was like, what the fuck does this 20-something dude want to hang out with a 15-year-old for? What the fuck? But Jimmy's actually a really good friend of ours. Like, he comes over for Thanksgiving all the time and hangs out. But He just, um, just seems open-minded and tons of well, fun he, to do anything if he's willing to dress up like Cloudy on TV. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he's a teller of tall tales. Like, he, he says some shit that you won't believe and is not true, I'm sure. Like, he'll say some shit like, you know, when I was in the Marines, I killed 25 people hand to hand at the same time and then you know i fucking saved nine children from a sinking ship and like he like always has like these wild stories and also he's can be like yeah i'm a pro wrestler but that he actually did do that i, I don't know how to explain jimmy he's one <laughs> of those guys he tells like tells tall tales but i think there's a, a bit of truth in all of them like uh, he actually was a pro wrestler and did work for wwe you know and entertaining t- storyteller you know, if, uh, if yeah, nothing else. Yeah, yeah he, he like he likes to uh, embellish slash make shit up sometimes. <laughs> but I fucking love the guy to death, you know. So w- was Chris kind of um, ever – did he find it weird when he started to see his face on merchandise and when he started having the action fig- the ECW action figures and all that? Or did he just mm-hmm. kind of – He thought it was fucking hilarious because – so, like, where I was with him when they were doing the action figures, and they're like, all right, you get ten poses. So his poses would be like <sighs> – where they'd be like, yeah. And then he had like a couple left. And he's like, he did like the Keller Kowalski. That's like a joke. And that's the fucking one they used. Where the hands were all like gnarled like that. Yeah, with the gritted so, teeth. With yeah, sort of like he, a, got it, he was like doing the fucking. And he's like, uh, he's like, what the fuck? And his, his move was like the right forearm smash. He's like, what the fuck's a right forearm smash? So we had, I don't know, we had a good laugh about that. But uh, yeah, my brother never took himself too fucking seriously. It's, you know what I mean? Like, he was always just a happy fucking go-lucky guy. So, like, all the questions you're asking me, he he wasn't, like, very serious about just things in general. He was just, like, a fucking kind of like a goof, you know. So he would rather make everybody laugh than be fucking serious, you know. Did, did that sort of, um, you know, the sort of the his demeanor and everything, did that mean he wasn't... I don't know how, so wasn't too worried about not making it to the main events in WWF sort of thing. Was he kind of happy with his, obviously you want to advance and everything, but like sort of, was he kind of happy with where he was at that point? I think. Regardless he, of the gimmick. Well, I mean, he's looking at it in the long haul. He's never doing anything else than being a professional wrestler. That's all he's ever going to do. If he's got to freaking do this shit in his early 20s, whatever, I'll do it. I don't care. You know what I mean? Like he, that's all he he never wanted to be he never had like in the back of his head like some people want to be an actor in a movie or fucking whatever the fuck all he ever wanted to do is be a pro wrestler so if he's like if this is if i got to do this for this little bit of time i don't care i'll just have fun doing it and then you know whatever happens will happen how how much did the broken neck affect him because it seemed that he was just gone from wwf it, it, it almost seemed as a result of the broken neck like how did yeah. what happened at that point Man, like you even know fucking more than I do. I remember at the time with the broken neck, he was really good at just like um, like fighting through pain, and uh, 
you know, he wanted to get back as soon as possible. And at that time, you know, you're like your shit heals faster and the, the, the broken neck affected him. But again, like what, you know, like when I say when it, when it comes to wrestling, he never, he never took him. He never took anything too seriously. He's like, I ah, fuck, I broke my neck. You know, I gotta take a good day off. You always do this. And he's like, I have my neck. But that's pretty much the extent of it. Yeah. Like, was he, was he kind of, um, if you remember, I mean, it's quite specific, but the last WWF match I think he had was at SummerSlam 96 and he had the neck brace on, and but he didn't get in the ring. Um, was that kind? Was that his last match, if you remember? And did he choose no, I, to leave, or was it just it was his contract up at that point? No, his contract wasn't up. Like I said, Vince said he needed something in writing, and he fucking wrote that on the oh, paper. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah and I know, I know. He came back for the invasion angle, and he had a match with, with Brian Christopher, who we later fucking uh, roomed with in Boston. He's a wild guy, but um, you know he. Yeah, as I think after his last match in WWE, he went to WCW, and then after that, you know, like I said, he was just he was he was in it for the long haul. So wherever wherever the wind would blow him, he would he would go. You know, like he really, like I said, it's hard because he wouldn't he would never sit there and like bitch about like his career. He might like be like, oh fucking, you know, some guys need to fucking hit the gym and work out, but then. He was, like I said, he was very, very, very carefree, kind of funny guy. You know what I mean? Like he never really, like he, he was always very laid back and like he wasn't, he wasn't too concerned with it. Like yeah. he was happy being a wrestler, no matter what, no matter where. All he was gonna do was wrestle. While he was in WWF, was that the first time he met Bam Bam and Shane? Because they were all together no. at that point. Was no. it not? Oh. Um, if you if you look on my my Twitter and go all the way down. There, there's a, a bunch of newspaper articles about my brother running shows in uh, in, in our t- hometown of Spring Lake when he was 14, 13, whatever. And Bam Bam grew up in Asbury Park, which is there's Spring Lake, Belmar, Bradley, Asbury Park. So Bam Bam was in his 20s and would come through to Spring Lake and work on the same show as my brother. And he was in a newspaper and everything. So my brother knew Bam Bam from the time he was like fucking 13, 12, 13 years old. So they had known each other for a very long time. Like, there's a whole lot of guys that have come from that same area. My brother, Balls, Bammer, Diamond Dallas Page. There's like, and that's like within like four square miles. You know, they all came from that like exact little area. So yeah, he knew, he knew Bammer from the time. Bammer was like twenty something, and my brother was like thirteen. You know. So, did, so from what you know, was the kind of, I mean, you know, if they were already friends, but was their friendship strengthened by a sort of, and I don't want to sound like one of these people, but like sort of like an anti-click bond, I guess. <laughs> I think Bammer, like Bammer's like a legit badass. Like he was fucking in like this motorcycle gang that he was, would fucking fuck people up. Yeah. You know, he, uh, he kind of looked out for my brother. Like he's a, his little brother, you know, like he would, you know, he'd make sure nobody fucked with my brother. And, not that my brother couldn't handle himself, but Bammer kind of like took that role on. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, you know he, uh, like I said, he was just he acted like my brother's big brother. So he was, you know, he was always around, and that, you know. So yeah, maybe it strengthened their relationship. I don't know, but they they were always tight. I mean, I always I saw Bammer all the time uh, growing up, and then even in my twenties and my teens, like I, when he moved to Pennsylvania, he bought this big place of land. He's like, dude, I'm opening up Bam Bam Bigelow's 
sub shop and ice cream parlor, dude. And he, like Bandler was a laid back guy too. So he like opened up this fucking sub shop and ice cream parlor. He was on like four acres of land. He's like, yo, Christy, Johnny, we gotta. He's like, let's do a fuck. We'll have a show. We'll have wrestling. We'll have live bands. We'll have arm wrestling contests and sub eating contests and all kind of shit. He's like, let's do it, bro. So we got the old DCW ring. This is like, I want to say in like 2003, 2004. We brought it. So me and my brother got the ring truck and we drove it up to Pennsylvania to Bam Bam Bigelow's place. And a whole bunch of my friends followed us. And then uh, we set up a ring. And then, uh, so like me, my brother, it's actually kind of a funny story because me and my brother, Bam Bam, booked the show. Our friend Thunderbolt, who uh, was from, from Brooklyn, who passed on and he stole he sold steroids it's a, it's a funny story i'll tell you in a sec but it was like look johnny we'll put johnny and thunderbolt together we'll put uh cruel and uh this kid there's this dude michael cruel i think it was like michael cruel and jay lethal and then it was uh our, our friend paulie the equalizer versus ray apollo and the main event was bam bam and and my brother and so there was wrestling and they so they didn't book a ref they forgot to book a ref they're like oh fuck so my cousin Vinny, who's like this little guy you know, comes strolling up, and Bammer's like, dude, you're the ref tonight. He's like, Vinny's like, what the fuck? I don't know what to do. He's like, just do what you see on TV. He's like, I'll give you 300 bucks. Vinny's like, I'm in. So Vinny refed the show, and uh, so, you know, we had a quick, you know, we had, we didn't want to, like, oversaturated wrestling. We had, like, five, uh, like, five, six matches, and then there was a, there was, like, an arm wrestling contest, and our friend Paul E.B., the equalizer, uh, went up there, and he did, like, an Andy Kaufman gimmick. He's like, I'm only arm wrestling women. And he, like, beat all the women. And he was like, yeah. But then, uh, so then there was a fucking tug-of-war contest. And you'll see the picture on my uh, on my Twitter. I put it up there. But tug-of-war contest is my brother's, like, in the front, my cousin Vinny, my friend DJ, me. Bammer took the picture, but then he got, like, as the anchor, right? So we had made it to, like, the final round. And there was, like, a, a fucking professional tug-of-war team. That they all were like 400 pounds. They had cleats. They had fucking chalk on their hands. And they're all like, yeah, they're like getting ready. So we all huddle up and we're like, yo, there's no way we can beat these fat fucks. So on the count of three, let's all let go of the rope. So we get up there. And we're like, Come on. So you can see if you, uh, you'll see the picture, but so we're up there and we're like gritting at them and we're going. We go one, two, three, Poof, let the rope go. These fucking guys are flying. Like, one of them flew so far, he, like, went in the parking lot and knocked his head on somebody's truck. Like, they went flying. It was so fucking funny. They jumped up like they were going to do something for, like, one second. Then was like, what? And they both, like, they all, like, fucking ran away. But it was so funny, man. Like, you know, I, it's, I, <laughs> I have so many funny stories about, like, me and my brother. Like, like I said, there's a, there's a chapter in the book called The Moron Brothers. It's just funny stories about, like us in the precarious situations we we would find ourselves in like or just dumb shit like so um my birth my brother first moved back let's in um what the fuck how old i all right so i'll tell you the story so when i was a kid at smoky mountain remember you remember there was a dude named bruiser bedlam who later worked as canine in the wwe yes yeah yeah okay so he was a fucking real deal like fucking tough guy and he had like a crazy bench he benched like 700 pounds so i remember being like you know seven or eight and he's like he's a good kid he's like when you get older if you're a three plate guy don't even talk to me if you're a four plate guy you can get me a cold drink if you're a five plate guy we can hang out i'm like all right so that just like stuck in my head like all through my life and my brother had benched 500 pounds 
so so me and my brother and balls are at the gym and uh i'll tell you the story before uh, there's another story that adds to this but me and my brother and balls are at the gym week by week we're getting stronger getting stronger boom 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 finally i get five plates on each side that's 495 i'm like put fives on either side i'm like i want to bench 500 fives on either side fucking boom get it up one two boom i rack it i'm like yeah so we're all fucking stoked, fucking, you know, headbutting each other and shit. <laughs> so later, after that, we fucking get to the uh, this place called Barry's. It's a bar that's like a block away from the gym. We're having shots and beers and drinking. My brother's like, man, I'm so proud of you, man. The bartender comes over. And my, bar- my brother's like, he's like, check out my little brother, man. 20 years old. He benched 500 pounds. 20 years old. Check him out. He's only 20 years old, man. The bartender, my brother's not really. The drinking age is 21. But, so he, he keeps going. Look at my brother, 20, 20 years old. And Balls goes, two, 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 two. My brother's like, the fuck does Mr. Wrestling 2 have to do with anything? Like, and he keeps going, 20 years old. And the, the, the bartender's like, how old is he? He's like, everybody around me fucking deaf? He's 20. I'm like, motherfucker. And finally, he's like, oh, shit. Like, he, he did not get it for, like, so fucking oh. long. It was, it was, like, fu- it was fucking funny. You know, that's incredible. That's, I know. And then, <laughs> dude, I have so many stories about just him being absent-minded. Like, uh, <laughs> well, both of us. Like, I was talking about the guy Thunderbolt who sold who sold the fucking steroids. He he passed away. He was a great guy, great wrestler. He he lived in Brooklyn. So we, me and my brother went there early in the day. We got some gas, and we fucking uh, we were on, on the way back home. We're like, yo, let's stop. This place, Nature's Corner, right by our house. We get like kale juice and shit you know and wheatgrass shots this is when we're like on our way back to healthiness you know yeah so we're we're sitting there after just picking up steroids we're waiting in line and uh my friend shawnee's mom is in front of us she goes christopher jonathan i didn't know two i didn't know you two were on juice we're like what which <laughs> you know and she's like how long have you two been juicing and and like and then she like we look and we realize she's talking about the fucking fruit juice at the stand. We're like, oh, my was like, oh, I've been juicing for a long time. She like, doesn't juice make you so strong and it clears up your skin. And you feel great and the, it's like a Saturday Night Live skit. Like because at first both of us were like, how did she know? Do I have like fucking pin hanging under my pocket? And then no, so, so she just kept going like, you know, how how long have you two been juicing? It was just so fucking funny. Uh, yeah. so in terms, of, in terms of partying, then who, uh, who were the real wild men for partying out of wrestling? So my brother was not. Balls was like my brother would like nurse a beer. Balls, balls would get down. <laughs> uh, fucking New Jack, he would oh, fucking party. Yeah. Bubba, Bubba Dudley would party. Um, pretty much. I mean, like. You know, when my brother was like on drugs, he preferred to do them by himself. You know, but like certain guys, like with the drink, like I I I I say this, I tell the story in the book. But when I was like maybe like fourteen, so my brother first got the ECW. I was going to every single fucking show with him, and uh, we get we go to this fucking uh, so so they're gonna do Heat Wave down in Florida, and my brother was like, dude, you gotta come down to Florida with us. It'll be fucking awesome. You know, there's a plane of just us boys. We're all going down there. You got to come. I'm like, all right, let's do it. So I'm 14, 15, go down to Florida with everybody. First show is a huge success. We're all hanging out at the sushi, at the sushi fucking uh, restaurant. And we have the whole fourth floor to ourselves. And so to one side of me is Tracy Smothers. 
The other side is Tommy Rich. Across from me is my brother, Jericho, Jericho's girlfriend, the Dudleys, New Jack, Dreamer. Everybody's all around this table, right? So we're sitting there, and uh, Tommy Rich is like, he's like, hey, bring me and my son a beer to the lady, you know, about me. She's like, sir, he's like 14. He's like, all right, bring me two. <laughs> then he goes, and Chase's mother's like, yo, he's like, he's like, he's like, you need to drink water, stretch, drink water, stretch. And uh, so Tommy, Tommy Rich is like, give me a couple shots of Jack Daniels. So they were taking the shots of Jack Daniels and going, boop, and pouring them in my Coke. So I was drinking them. <laughs> and then fucking Tammy fucking took a bunch of gimmicks. As soon as the sushi came, kicked them in. She fell face first into her food. So that happened. And uh, so my brother, New Jack, the Dudleys picked her up and they carried her out of the place, put her in the car. My brother's like, come on, we're going back to the hotel. I'm like, no, I'm going to hang out and stay with these guys. So he's like, all right. He's like, just follow behind us. I'm like, okay. So I went back with Tracy and Tommy, was drinking more Jack Daniels. And the uh, last I remember that night is I'm walking down the street with Tracy's mothers. We're shadow boxing down the street. And as my brother tells a story, he looked, he was going to everybody's room, like, where the fuck's my brother? And then he found me in the pool. There was a couple ECW guys in there. I think it was Dreamer and Taz. And I was swimming in the pool at like three in the morning. And he came out like, what the fuck? And uh, so we used to always tell a story about how Tracy and Tommy kidnapped me. <laughs> so that was a story that we used to go around. It was, you know, <laughs> it was never a dull moment with us. Oh, no well, did um, be, before we, uh, you know, finish uh, off talking about the book and everything, did Chris seem much happier in ECW? Was there just a freedom that he just wasn't, you know, obviously with the gimmick, I mean, I say gimmick, no gimmicks needed, but, you know, with uh, him being able to be more who he was, I'm guessing that was just creatively liberating for him at that point. Yeah, no, absolutely. He was. He definitely felt better that he had more control of what he could do. He, you know, didn't really have to answer to anyone. He kind of had Paul's ear on a lot of things. Mm. So, yeah, he he felt amazing that they could just be him. He didn't have to, you know, play a persona. Because, you know, every wrestler's persona is kind of themselves, but, like, jazzed up a little bit. So that was him. He, you know, big muscles, good fucking body, doing a little stuff. Like, he just I, – I remember when he was, like, down in the dumps, Tracy's mother was like – because my brother was like, man, I should probably, grow, you know – grow a goatee or something. She's was like, no, nah, man, no, nah, man, that ain't you. You're Chris Candido, Chris Candido, Chris Candido, say it. And I was like, Chris Candido. And we're like <laughs> joking around. But uh, yeah, he was just a lot happier with the, with the, uh, the, he could control his own character and do all that stuff. And then that, that went like tenfold after, you know, in the early 2000s up till he died when he could just on the end, he do whatever he wanted. And he had like so much, um, you know, when he when he came up working with guys like when when the guys like like Jay Lethal and CM Punk and Claudio Castagnoli and Homicide and like all those guys when all those guys were coming up, yeah. him working with them made him step his game up and they like looked to him for advice. So it was like he's like like he when he when he got clean in like you know oh four like that for the for like those like year like two years. He fucking loved wrestling so fucking much. Like, it, it was almost like his passion was back for it. Like, it was. Like, he's 100%. Like, the passion he had when he was a kid was brought back, you know, in those those last couple of years of his life. And he, you know, he was so fucking happy. And that's, you know, that's why we're doing this book and we're putting it out now. And it's just perfect timing, you know, because, yeah, he was just such a fucking, just such a great guy, such a happy guy. And he, 
he was like a big brother to the whole neighborhood. I remember like, you know, me and him would be off wrestling places. We'd pull back to his house and there'd be like 10 of my friends, like fucking, you know, they were like out in his backyard fishing, grilling. People are out on their boats. There's a, couple, a lot of funny stories in the beach about that. But he's like, damn, dude, he's like, I feel like I'm running the Chris Candido house for wayward boys. He's like, there's always like 20 motherfuckers in my backyard. I'm like, Sorry, dude. But uh, yeah, he was just very, uh, you know, just a really cool, open guy, you know, like. It seems that, you know, because he uh, passed away really before social media um, took off and everything, there does seem to be still, a, you know, I know he did some shoot interviews, but there still seems to be a mystique around him as well, which I think it, it has awesome. made him someone that, you know, in, in kind of like Pillman, sort of, you know, that someone people want to just know more and more about and want to see more and more of in terms of merchandise, et cetera, because, they, you know, Chris, he would have fit, obviously fit in anywhere today. And um, But I think there's, because he came around at a time that means so much to a lot of people as well, I just think there's, it, 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 there is like an emotional bond to your brother um, because of what he meant to so many fans uh, during during every part of his career, even the WWF stuff, the, the you know the more sillier stuff and everything. You know, like he, you know, you know yourself, the, what he was able to do in WWF, he was really one of the people who um, pushed forward a, a more high paced, action packed style as well, and he doesn't get nearly enough credit for that in his WWF run. And I mean, you only have to see moves like the power bomb off the top that you would take and, you know, just crazy stuff like that. And just, he was, um, definitely an innovator in, you know, wherever he worked. Um, and you know, I think any company that had him was lucky to have him as well. And, um, yeah, really, really excited about the book. Um, how did you, uh, how did you meet John and, so he, he was, um, I, I know you said that he was writing the book and everything. So when you met him, was it kind of like an instant, um, instant bond sort of thing? He was writing a book for Tracy's mothers who, like I said, I fucking known forever. He kidnapped me when I was like 12, <laughs> but we, we've been buddies and Tracy, you know, has a lot of stories with like me and my brother and all this shit. So he told that guy, John, do a book on my brother. And John did a little research and, uh, you know, was like, yes, I'll definitely do this book. So, you know, he started talking to me and he's like, so, you know, I started telling him, he talked to me, my mom, my sisters, fucking everyone. And then he's like, uh, you know, who should I talk to? I'm like, oh, talk to, you know, like, I'm like, here's Dreamer's number. Here's Sandman's number. Here's Sabu's number. And then people would call me or, you know, people whose numbers I didn't have and be like, yo, get on my brother's book. And they, so people were just like Dan Severin, you know, the UFC fighter, Dan Severin. Mm-hmm. My brother taught him how to professional wrestle. So Dan Severin's in the book. Like, so all these, so me and him, so I had like my book that I'd written and that was like, kind of, it was like a template, but it was like also like a book of stories that, that I gave to John. And I have like the, a lot of the contacts in the wrestling business. He has the know-how to write and craft things very well. So it was just a great, it was just a great pairing of the two of us. I think we fucking, because there's so many funny stories that I think of, like, like I said, like for the last three, four years of his life, we were together every day. So like thinking of stories, you know, like every second with us was funny. So like I, I was, I told him a story yesterday. I don't know if it's going to make the book or not, but like we were driving to Boston and uh, we, you know, so we get stuck in traffic on 95 
and there was no like GPS or anything, you know, back then. So we get off an exit. He's like, oh, I think it's here. We get freaking lost. We get back on 95. We're driving around. We're in the car for like, I want to say like 13 hours. And I'm just annoyed because I'm driving. He didn't get his license yet. He didn't get his license back yet. So I'm driving. And we fought, we were like, fuck, we're on the street where the hotel is. Great. I light up uh, a cigarette. And he's like, oh, man, with the smoke. Opens the windows up. Turns the AC on. I take a big pull of cigarette. He cranks the AC up. The freaking st- cherry from the cigarette falls down the, the leg of my shorts onto my nuts. I'm going, <laughs> and there's fucking shit flying everywhere. We go, we're, we're right in front of the hotel. He takes his orange, uh, I'm sorry, he takes his yellow Gatorade, dumps it in my crotch. I have white shorts on, and he puts out the ash. And I've been in the car for like 12 hours. So I walk in with like orange Gatorade dripping, and there's this like freaking super hot chick at the counter. And he's like, oh, sorry, my brother pissed his pants in the car. I'm just like, yeah, that happens. You know, just give me the room cake. I was just so defeated at the time. It was just so funny because I was jumping around. I could see the embers flying everywhere. He just dumped a 32-ounce Gatorade right onto my crotch. And then there was this, <laughs> and I had to, like, face this hot chick to get my room cake. Yeah, no, oh. but, yeah, every every second with us was, was freaking hilarious, you know. Um, so that's, just, how, yeah, that's how me so, and John got together. Uh, just a couple of very quick questions. Did Chris, did Chris ever grow a beard then? No, I mean he got pretty scruffy, but he tried to. He was thinking about it for like a second in XPW, and then Tracy's mother said, "That's not you, man. You're Chris Candido, Chris Candido." And he's like, "You're right." And he fucking got rid of it. Because he he had like the babyest of baby faces, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he never seemed to age like at all. Um. So did he ever talk about who his what his favorite match was, and what was your favorite match as well? So he, he I mean, he loved working Tracy. He loved working Terry Funk. Oh yeah, well I was gonna ask about Terry, yeah, because he wore yeah. the tight as well, and yeah. Yeah, him and him and Terry Funk, you know, the those two mesh so well together. Uh, he 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 loved working everyone, man. Uh, but if I I think his favorites are probably the you know the, the the Terry Funk, him and Sabu had great chemistry. Him and Lance had great chemistry. Um, me and my, me and him in New Jersey on this on this uh, website called probably his my brother's proudest moment. Was probably I, I you know was when me and Balls Mahoney won match of the year in 2004. We did a tables, ladders, and chairs match, and there was this website called Declaration of Independence, but like you know independent wrestling, like IND, not independence, but independence. Yeah. And uh, me and Balls won match of the year for this you know for this tables, ladders, and chairs match we did. And my brother called me up like losing his mind, like almost in tears. Well, because he he was he was at the match, and the finish was. Um, you know, so I fucking, you know, did a fucking swanton off the top of the ladder. I crashed through a table. Um, then the ladder, then we brought another table in the ring. Boom, boom, boom. Fucking balls was, me and balls were fighting on top of the ladder. We get to the top, balls drapes me over his shoulder and gives me the nutcracker off the, off the ladder through the table. And I remember as I'm like falling down, I see my brother and my friend standing on top of my brother's like gimmick table, like staring at me, like mouth open, like. And then, you know, balls pinned you for the one, two, three. The place goes fucking insane. And then, uh, you know, so fast forward the end of that year, and me and Balls won match of the year. And he calls me, he's almost like, dude, you won match of the year. You won match of the year. Holy shit. Like, he was, like, crying his eyes out. And match of the year two was him versus Jay Lethal. And match of the year – no, I'm sorry, him versus kid uh, Mike Cruel. And match number four or five was me. Me and Chris did a cage match, like, you know, after – 
black designs, like I told you earlier, it came to a head in this cage match. I mean, so the the guy who was writing definitely fucking liked me and him a whole lot. So, but uh, yeah, when I won that match of the year, I was so fucking happy. But yeah, so his his favorite opponents, I got to say, are probably uh, probably Terry Funk and Sabu. Probably, uh, I'm trying. It's, it's hard to say. And then like then the young guys like Lethal and Punk. And homicide, and like he loved working with those guys because they'd make him step his game up, and they, you know, they. So it was like, uh, you know, that, that was really cool. And did he? Uh, before we talk about where you can, where, where the book will be available and when it'll be available and everything, um, did he ever talk about the future, like what he wanted oh, to do in wrestling? Yeah, 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 all the fucking time. Where I mean, did he see? Where did he see himself? Where would Chris Candido be in 2020? What would he be doing? Well, he saw himself as an agent. So in 2020, he was always going to be in the business. So so we jogged along the Manasquan boardwalk all the time. And then we'd come to a rest, like like looking over at the inlet. And there was this uh, this, this place there called Car- uh, Carlson's Corner. It was like a restaurant. And it was for like people who come down to the shore in the summer. And he's like, dude, imagine I make this Candido's Corner and I make it like a wrestling-themed restaurant right on the Manasquan inlet. I'm like, oh, dude, that'd be sick. So he would see himself, you know – being an agent, if he was around, I'd probably still be in the business. He'd be like managing me, but you know, more likely an agent, probably owning uh, Candido's Corner restaurant in Manasquan. And uh, you know, wherever he'd be, he'd be he'd be happy. You know, he just you know love wrestling so much, and I'm I'm so excited to get a story out there. You know? I'm sure. He, I mean, it goes without saying how proud I'm sure he would be about the book as well, and the fact that you're keeping his name out there, and how many people are going to be so excited about the book as your Twitter continues to grow and people <laughs> become, you know, because the thing is, I mean, you know, uh, uh, British Bulldog's daughter runs a page for him, and Brian Pillman Jr. obviously keeps his dad in, you know, uh, memory and stuff. So the, I mean, if nothing else, there's a there's a market for this. People want. To know about you know uh, wrestlers that they loved growing up and you know wrestlers that don't necessarily get the spotlight they deserve from the bigger platforms like WWE and stuff like that. So someone has to you know uh, from the grassroots do it, and I think it it kind of suits the no gimmicks needed that it's you know independently uh, released and uh, it's going to be balls to the wall and full of fun stories and uh, you know um, no corporate bullshit. Um, with this yeah, book. absolutely, man. I, I'm totally stoked about it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I can't wait. And like, thank you to all you guys who have been hitting me up. Like, everybody's been hitting me up to do podcasts. Like, I, I did a bunch in the past, but like, like this week, it's been like seven to eight podcasts contacting me. Like, oh, your brother's book, you know. So I, I have to finish the foreword. Um, I think we're pretty much we're pretty much finished. It should be it should be out January of 2021. Like. Wow. a couple of weeks like soon you know and it and it's ready to go as well you're not going the the kickstarter route or anything like that it's it's no, ready it's to go yeah yeah we fucking yeah. i mean i already read the first draft i already like read it fact checked it all that shit um i just added some more stories um he interviewed a couple more people so i'm waiting for the second draft to come along and i'm i have a draft of the foreword but i want to fix some shit but that's pretty much it and we're ready to roll and I'm guessing because you, you post a lot of really cool unseen pictures on your Twitter. Um, so there'll be some really cool pictures in the book. I'm oh, I, well. Yeah, I think I scanned him over like 150 family photos. <laughs> my mom always would take pictures and shit like that. So there's, I, I have, you know, 
I think I, I grabbed all the pictures of my house. Then there was like 150 something of like us when we were kids and him growing up. So I, you know, like I said, there's a picture of us at Bamfest and we're all holding the rope about to fucking drop it. There's a, there's a bunch of pictures. There's a picture after me and the Balls Mahoney match where uh, it's I the picture where I say my brother's the happiest he's ever been. I mean, I ran out to the ring. I, I, I threw a, a red jersey on, I think, and I ran out to the ring. And my little sisters are in the ring, and he's in the ring, and he's holding the NWA Midwest title, and he's just he's just beaming like he's so fucking happy. So I, th- I think I'm pretty sure that was that night. But uh, yeah, just tons of like you know unseen pictures, family pictures, and tons of stories that'll have people laughing their asses off. I promise that. That's amazing. Well, as well as the action figure, which is available at figurestoycompany.com. Uh, there are two versions of it. There's the early bird variant oh, with uh, some weapons. Sure. Oh, yes. Oh, see, we've got to take a picture of that because this is an audio podcast, but there's going to be a shirt as well. Oh, yeah. Well, no, there's a ton of shirts. It's uh, ProWrestlingTees.com. There's like 10 different varieties of shirts. Oh, well, uh, Pro Wrestling Tees as well will have a European store quite soon as well. So that'll make it a lot easier for, um, you know, people like me to, you know, be able to get shirts of, um, you know, people like Chris and um, various other names in there as well. But most importantly, Chris, I'm very excited about that. Yeah, so... Um, ship to Europe. I mean, I because every, every they time do sh- they do ship to Europe, but there's going to be a European store as well, which is going to make oh, things nice. more affordable, I guess. Um, nice. Yeah, which I mean, I think a lot of people have been crying out for that for a long time. So, um, yeah. your Twitter, um, you're going to keep everyone up to date with uh, the release of the book. I'm sure there'll be yeah, links absolutely. to buy the book. We're going to post links below the show when it's available. But where can people find you for updates on everything? Uh, let me see. What's my Twitter name again? I'm not a very big. Uh... <laughs> social media fella my twitter name is you're at, at candido 118 at, at candido 118 yep yeah um i'm there on twitter and uh i post cool shit, you and, do post cool shit. Yeah. <laughs> thank you yeah and if you if you know if you need to get in touch with me for anything just hit me up dm me i'm always open for anything interviews shit like that uh, well, I want to I want to thank you for uh, taking some time. Th- this is a really cool thing for me because it's just it when I, when you know when I do this podcast, you know, a lot of wrestlers who I would love to interview have sadly passed away. But getting to interview someone who is you know a family member or someone who is so close to that wrestler, and you know, and also get to find out about yourself as well, it's uh, something that I definitely don't uh, I don't take that for granted. It's uh, it's really cool that you were happy to spend an hour on our on our podcast and uh, we will push that book um as much as possible when it's uh as i'm sure everyone else will as well but uh yeah i can't wait to read it i'm uh, if, if some of these stories are anything to go by this book is going to be fucking wild yeah and i think we joked before so there's going to be no uh um no lawyers have to read this uh, before it gets put out <laughs> No, nope. everything's every all the stories I think I've seen with my own two eyes. So uh-huh. uh, yeah, but there's going to be like no cease and desist from like other wrestlers saying, "Oh, you can't put that yeah. in there." So, I actually, you know what? If there's something I don't know, I just like texted Danny Doring before. I was like, you know, about a match. I was like, was it a, was it you and Chris or was it me, you, Chris? He's like, oh, it was just me and Chris. Like, so I'm like, I literally like, I I want everything to be 100 percent factual. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, anybody who is in any of the stories, if I have like a little bit of doubt i'm like i'll get in touch with them and ask you know because you know after you have a lot of matches you kind of forget who was where when 
So if they, you know, like I'm fact checking with the people in the stories to make sure they're there if I have a question about it, you know. Mm. So it's all going to be like, like I said, like true, like all, like all stories that I've seen that are fact checked. If, like I talk to the author, if I'm not exactly sure who's there, I'll be like, I'll say WWE guys or ECW guys. But if I'm sure who's there, I say who it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's a great looking parent, you know. <laughs> this is a great looking cover as well. Was that one of his favorite photographs? Or? No, no. This this fucking he hated this photograph. Yeah, he didn't hate it. <laughs> but his favorite one. Um, no, I'm sorry. He really liked this one. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, his, his favorite one was the one where he uh, he did the ECW side chest like this. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> this is gonna sound like fucked up, but so my 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 one friend, uh, his mom was a was a realtor, and gave my brother uh, uh, one of her business cards and he shows me the card he's like who the fuck is this in that business card uh, he's like i'm like oh he's like oh i'm like that's uh that's my friend's mom he goes that's his mom oh i guess that's when she was all and he do the, the side chest so anytime we'd like see somebody who were selling like pictures of themselves and it didn't look like them we'd do like like the side chest pose <laughs> but uh so no but somebody owns all those pictures so i think this guy uh George Tahinos, I'm not quite sure his name, but he had these pictures uh, of my bro. I'm trying to fucking find the guy's name. No, they're, they're good pictures, but all of the ECW ones and WWE ones are owned by them. But then there, we found that we know it, or John Cosper knows an independent photographer and uh, who's taken the picture for the, to, who took the picture for the title, uh, for the cover of the book. Yeah. Awesome. So, I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to say he hated it. It wasn't, his favorite picture was the side <laughs> chest one. But uh, we couldn't find who took the side chest one. But he's always, he's, you know, he's always referenced that by like, you know, doing the side <laughs> chest. And, you know, he'd see somebody not looking too hot, and their pictures were of them all like jacked up. You know, that was like an inside joke. <clears throat> oh well, look, um, thank you again. Like, I'm hope once the book gets out, um, and I will be, I'm assuming you will be signing copies as well, because we've got to have a signed oh, copy. Yeah. He's gonna send me a bunch of these stickers that I have to sign that are gonna go on them. And people on Twitter who are around, like, the area, I told them I'd sign them whatever I have to do. Yeah, I'll sign a ton of them. Awesome. I'll do whatever. I'll do whatever as long as, you know, I'm, I'm stoked to get these books out. Well, once once the book is out, we'd love to have you on for a part two as well. Because, I mean, it'll just be almost dissecting the book and going, I can't believe this happened on page 32. <laughs> like, you know, you're going to have to tell me more about this, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, most definitely. Awesome. Well, look, thank you for uh, spending an hour of your time. I mean, we went over, we've almost went to the two-hour Broadway here, so uh, we're going to have to uh, call it before the fans start, uh, you know, leaving for the last uh, train or whatever. Um, you know, um, yeah, thank you again, and uh, thank you to everyone listening to uh, Hands Up Merchandise on BBG Wrestling, and I want to thank you again, Johnny, and we will uh, do this again soon. No doubt. Thanks, brother. Thank you, man.